0: Have you figured out your scope one, scope two, and scope three yet? Well, maybe you've given it a thought or two. If not, I encourage you to watch episode 66, part one, where we break down climate literacy and lunacy of their mathing before listening to what's next. Marty Sorrier is back, the intrepid CEO of Trimac Industries, and she has the advantage to bring us firsthand research, so you may benefit. Today, we talk about how clear your future is in powder coatings, whether you own a small job shop or run a factory in your town or around the world. Does the picture fit the frame? Get ready to level up your powder coater game. Okay, so getting back, let's talk about what it means for powder coating. What about powder coating? Um, this slide is about tactics to reducing your carbon footprint reduction. Um, so yeah, we kind of talked touched on this earlier, which is powder selection, you know, are you gonna purchase something from a multinational company that is, you know, working on being paper free, right? <laughs> As an example. Well,
1: Axo, Exalta, PPG, uh, you know, all the, um, I mean, the list goes on and on. TCI, all, all of the big companies
0: mm-hmm. have
1: uh, have a standard on this. They, yeah. they, are, they have a sustainability manager somewhere who is working on this issue. Again, for their scope one and for our scope three. Mm-hmm.
0: And then the next one, well, chemistry selection, I guess, obviously. Um, more of the washer. Yeah, oh, okay, pre-treatment stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, equipment selection obviously could be gas ovens or electric ovens or infrared, uh, UV, that sort of stuff. Process improvements, um, I mean, for us, as an example of that, we, we're we now switching to e a, a, uh, E-strip tank. So instead of using that chemical B-17, we're using their E-chem uh, setup, right? So that's our way of trying to move forward there. Uh, waste management, um, Mm. Uh, there is a product out there that we featured. I think it's episode 26. Don't ask me how I remember that, but, uh, they, they sent us some bags where you can actually put the powder, all your used powder, um, spray to waste powder, whatever you, or old powder in boxes that you're not using mm-hmm. anymore. You can put it in there, um, in their bag. The bag is obviously, um, heat rated, Uh, bag. It's just a plastic clear bag, like a garbage bag. And then you tie it up and you put it in your oven and you heat it to the, you know, you cure the powder and it becomes inert. So it's a great way to actually deal with your waste management. And I'm actually thinking, you know what, you could actually sell that to a bunch of like Etsy jewelry makers because it's all that Fordite. It turns into Mm -hmm. Fordite. So we actually did a show on that. And I'm hoping a lot of people are going to be using that product. I still think it's a brilliant product. And um, I hope these guys are going to market their product a little better. Um, It's not easy to market into our industry, right? But it's a great way, an example of waste management instead of just throwing the powder in the dumpster.
1: It's funny you say that because I found that same company. Did you? And I assume it's the same company. I can't remember the company. Yeah, it's like an older couple. And because uh, I was looking at the recycling side mm-hmm. of powder and, you know, making sure I could talk intelligently about what is the industry doing on recycling? Because obviously you've got, you know, if you're sprayed a waste, you know, it's waste. And if you're recycling your powder in the booth, you have other options. But you know, at some point you're going to have waste powder however you're you're doing it and that there's a growing trend in trying to figure out how to recycle that powder mm-hmm. now you're not going to come up with some beautiful specialty pink doing that but you might come up with some fabulous grays right <laughs> and you know some dark darker colors you know because you're combining and all that kind of stuff and obviously black is you know
0: Yeah, it was kind of interesting because I think we just, I don't, I don't think he hung it. He actually just put it on the floor. Yeah. And it, it, as I recall videotaping, I would love to share it with you is because it was sitting on the floor and I want to say it was probably maybe about 10 pounds of powder, maybe we just threw whatever old stuff we had and it had blacks and whites and, um, I think there was a color in there and it, it, when it melted, it melted into like an eye shape, which is actually Mm -hmm. pretty enough in itself uh, for like an artist making art or a sculpture or something like that. It could be used like that. But when he broke it, obviously it broke uh, into little fragments and pieces and within that was like this, this you know the spectrum of the colors that we chose it was actually really pretty I I was surprised at how well it came out Um, and I think that that's I'm not sure how these Etsy guys do it but I know it's a big thing on Etsy this kind of stuff
1: Uh, anybody listening do not put your cardboard box of powder in your oven you must take a bag Do not throw away your powder because you can get in trouble for that if you throw it yeah. away and it's loose. Besides the fact that loose powder, if it puffs up, kind of could create all kinds of bad stuff like could explode. Uh, well, it won't mm-hmm. explode, but it could catch on fire. Um, right. uh, uh, again, on a tangent, um, do you know who Marty Karecki is? He used to work for Axel Nobel and he, he retired. Yeah, I
0: videotaped it and I put it on LinkedIn. Oh His yeah, you video- were there.
1: You were there. Yeah, I, I had the perfect
0: view side view and i everybody loved the video i posted on it after the show and i'm trying to get marty Mm -hmm. on there but yeah he that was the most interactive thing i i've ever learned at a powder coating week but in addition it just in general about powder coatings and safety and stuff it was it was a great demonstration yeah
1: yeah it was and for everybody who hasn't seen it, look at our youtube or on your linkedin or youtube I put it on my LinkedIn
0: um, one, but uh, I' not sure if I shared it on YouTube. I probably should. I probably should. I want to have him on the show. That's what I told him. Oh, he's great. He's great. after yeah, I, I emailed him, but great. I know is I know they are, aren't they? Um, and I emailed him because he's retired. That was his retirement thing. Was a week later, so he hasn't got. I think he's too busy retiring. <laughs>
1: no, he still he works uh, part time. Uh, does some consulting and his son works for bulk chemical and he does some work yeah. for them and such. Uh, so he's not a hundred percent retired. He's trying to keep his you know, fingers in the game and he's working on the NFPA committee. So he's, he's really a fabulous resource. And uh, he loves to talk just as much as I do. And he's got a whole lot more information than I do. Yeah. So, I mean, he is. Well, a put a bug in his ear.
0: I emailed him, but he didn't respond. So maybe you can say something or All if right. I'm in a meeting or something, the next time I see him, I'm like, Come on my show, because he said, yeah, I would. But anyways, Um, okay. Um, regular maintenance. Oh, sorry. We missed this one. Regular maintenance. um, That'd be what? Just cleaning up your shop. Uh, Well, the
1: the blinding glimpse of the obvious is that a clean shop is an efficient shop. I mean, yeah, we've all heard that. And people don't do enough maintenance. But what happens if you're in convection and you've got a burner and your burner gets dirty, it's going to use more gas. It has to work harder to, you know, you you don't want to, just like your home furnace, If you don't change the filters, you're going to be less efficient. You've got to keep it clean to be able to do stuff. Uh, Things like um, your oven walls, you know, people have hit them with their forklift and something It's all dented in. If you ever do a uh, infrared camera on it, you're gonna see how much heat you're losing. Just feel it and you'll feel how much heat you're losing. And the entrance and exits and so many different ways we can look at heat recovery or heat containment uh, so that we can be more efficient. Because the more efficient you are, the less gas you're gonna use. Right. I mean, that's what this is all about. At least on the curing side, it's about using less gas. Okay
0: um powder um so this one it's got four things on there it's just basically every powder manufacturer gets a green target so are you suggesting that that's what it is now or what you're proposing
1: no that's what uh right now that's where we are in the where the industry is is that you know uh, the powder side is already aggressively looking at this
0: okay i see uh, reclaim and recycle, new formulations, and of course, the low temp powders uh, that are coming out uh, for powder coating on wood or powder coating on line systems and parts and stuff like that too, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some physics issues with some of that that can uh, affect how low we can go. Uh, the the wood's pushed it about as far, you know, and that's 265. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you do see uh, Europe has some different, as we well know, TGIC and those kinds of things has some different rules than the US does on powder formulations. But uh, you can get into lower temp than you can in the US, I believe, uh, on metal. Mm -hmm. But even so, you know, 325 is 350 is, you know, not uncommon anymore. It's just, it's a more expensive powder. But if you can use less gas, you know, maybe there's an, you know, an appropriate offset. Offset. Yeah. It's all that kind of stuff you have to look at if you're buying a new oven and uh, you can design the oven and your process and, you know, everything shrinks when you have less oven. The process time shrinks, the time on the line shrinks, all that stuff can go down.
0: So chemistry, nanotechnology, ambient temperature chemistry don't forget about wastewater.
1: So there, there's chemistries out there right now that don't require heat and um, you know the nanotechnology is typically talking about the zirconium um, uh, you know you have to it, it requires a little bit different washer configuration so it's a great thing to look at when you're buying a washer but even if you have a washer you can you typically can't convert into some different chemistries that can affect how much heat is required to get to whatever level the surfactant and the other, you know, chemistry properties need Um, that, you know, that's something you want to talk to your chemistry supplier. If this is something that's important to you about what your options are, but there's a lot of variability in chemistries and how they perform and what they require from the washer itself. Okay.
0: Um, okay washers just getting into washers uh efficiencies and maintenance of the
1: burner yeah gotta love how I spelled maintenance don't you maintenance where, where, oh <laughs> In case anybody i just realized i did that spell check oops oh, i can't that's an, e- that's an easy
0: one to misspell all the time you know, too
1: that's what it's supposed to catch for me and it didn't do it
0: Ah, I hate it when that happens. Um, Electric heat versus natural gas. One gallon per minute of water going down the drain equates to about 125 gallons annually for a single shift. Uh, Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. And this is like the PFAS stuff. Is that what we're talking about here?
1: Well, it can be or, you know, getting those nanotechnology uh, based chemistries. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are several of the big chemistry companies. I know Shamital has several of them have them um, that uh, different technologies that you can look at.
0: Uh, What about drag out? I don't know what. Can you explain what drag out is?
1: So if you're thinking about this is going a little bit more into the sustainability side of it, not just uh, carbon reduction Mm -hmm. and that your drag out is when you're in stage one. And you drag your chemistry into stage two, then you have to dump your tank because you did, you know, what what people love to do. And I understand why I would do the same thing if I were them your washer, a flow through washer, and it was originally designed for a six foot long part. Well, now your business has changed and you want to run eight foot long parts. I don't (laughs) know anybody who's ever done this ever. (laughs) But when you do that, uh, your, your drain backs are supposed to be. The same length as your longest part, it's just a 101 rule of washer design. So, if you're running an eight foot part on a six foot drain back, you're going to have issues of you know cross contaminating all of your water mm-hmm. well and your chemical. Well, you could be taking your hot water into a cold tank, I mean, there's lots of things that you could do, but y- your, your tanks are supposed to be basically self contained and do their thing wash rinse chemistry whatever they're supposed to do um and when you have drag out you're carrying one and you know if you didn't maintain your washer the whole thing would just be one big goo of chemical lukewarm water right um but nobody does that because you wouldn't have any you know performance on the washer but it's a matter of degrees of how clean is clean how how Mm -hmm. How perfect is the chemistry for what you need? How titrated are you doing it? So when you think about drag out, it's, it's the heat of the walls. It's the heat of the water. It's, it's leaving the heated tank, not getting recirculated and reheated and it's going somewhere else. So now you got to bring a new cold water or, you know, fresh water to, uh, uh, your counter flows, all that kind of stuff that can affect how much, Gas, you know, your burner is going to need because the realities are in our industry. Most, you know, I think consider the um, optimal design is a burner tube. So you have this big long serpentine of stainless right. steel tube, and the gas uh, burner sits at the end and shoots a flame down that tube, and that's what's heating the water. And when you look at that, you know, that's all well and good. It, that's a very efficient way to heat a lot of water you have a lot of surface area and as long as you're cleaning your tank from your sludge which is a a whole nother issue but um the and that's where that maintenance comes in because if people aren't maintaining their washers and you have sludge build up you're going to burn out your tube and then you've got a whole hot mess or you don't have a hot mess you have a cold mess because you burned out your tube but point being that you can look at electric heat. Well, electric heat works really well in small tanks. Like in our parts washer, we typically do electric heat, um, even though we have designs for both technologies. But when you can do a big tank, electrically heating water-
0: Yeah, that's a lot. really
1: expensive.
0: Right, yeah. Really
1: expensive. So we just want people to be thinking through, because you know, washer designs are not easy to change, to modify. So if you're going to get ready to buy a washer, you want to have thought through what, you know, that's where the chemistry uh, can play such a huge role, because the kind of chemistry you're going to do is going to set the washer design. Mm-hmm. We as a systems house don't tell you what size washer you need. Your chemistry supplier typically tells us how many seconds in each stage they want. And depending on how much freedom you want to do a different chemistry depends on how we design it. Um But again, thinking through these issues of these new technologies out there, how can that affect uh, your washer performance, your cleaning performance, which, you know, there's no qualitative uh, reduction in all this. If anything, it goes up. Um, But you do have to pay attention to how the washer's physically designed. And so like insulated walls, some people want to do it on the walls, Some people want to do it on the tanks. There's you, again, you can have a whole rabbit hole conversation there, but the idea is it's typically metal, you know, stainless or possibly mild steel is what your washer is made out of, and what metal conducts. So if you've got, uh, you, you know, you want to save some energy, you know, insulate that tank so that it's less likely that your heat is going to conduct out into the atmosphere and thereby cool uh, your water, require you to put more heat back in. The value proposition of it isn't huge. Uh, at least it hasn't been for just the economic side. But, you know, if you get into the uh, carbon reduction side, you know, that, that may tip the balance a little bit more for some people.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. And the, this next slide is decarbonization will require a dramatic shift in how industrial heat is generated. Um, and it's almost like a complete overhaul of, uh, you know, an infrastructure that, or a behavior.
1: Behavior, I think that's. Yeah. It. Um, uh, it's interesting on the furnace side, they look at infrared as just, yeah, radiant tubes, They it's just a standard common design. Most every furnace designer, depending on what they're doing, um, has designs where they are either heating air or they're using a a radiant tube. They're burning the natural gas, could be electricity or it could be a radiant tube. So they don't look at infrared as this voodoo the way the oven industry does. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting.
0: And, you know, also uh, in in a sense what we're getting at um or sort of the underpinnings here is almost like a new uh, a revolution of or a change in going from the industrial age of what we were a 100 or so years ago uh to this new overhauled version of the industrial age would you agree to that
1: yeah yeah i would I think that's a good comment.
0: Okay, ovens are the big scope number one challenge. Um, so, are these these points here are meant to? What are you trying to achieve here? Use less gas. That's what you well, want to get to.
1: Yeah, I mean the, the 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 simplest way to reduce your carbon footprint in your oven is to use less gas. Right. It's just not any more complicated than that is the question is how so you can if you have an oven that you don't plan on replacing anytime soon. Uh, the first thing you want to look at is, can I turn it down? So it was designed for 450. Now you're up with 350 powder. Well, you're going to turn that oven down or you're going to run your line faster. One of the two. And you're not going to leave it in yeah. there at the same amount of time. So that's a very easy way to sit there and um, look at, you know, how you can do that. So I just looked at and just did the math. 350 to 400 is a 15% reduction right away. You've just done that. Yeah, but doesn't done that extend
0: else. that extends the cure time, though?
1: Now, that's, uh, that's my <laughs> webinar I'm going to do uh, later on this year called The Art of the Cure. And I'm doing okay. all this research uh, with formulators to sit there and really understand what is cure. And I am shocked at how many people have a binary view of cure. It's cured or it's uncured. And okay. when you're perfectly cured, that's true. But like quality, there's a window. But if you turned out, if you don't change your powder, no, yeah, that's going to increase your time. You got to change the powder. You got to get a 350 powder.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: I guess I, I wasn't really clear there. Uh, but, you know, another way you can use less gas, like I said, you know, obviously if you're starting with a new oven, there's all kinds of things you can do. Another right. way you can turn down your power, you, you know, turn down your oven without increasing your time is just to add a boost. So you can typically, you know, you can drop in a booth inside your oven with a little bit of modification or you can drop a booth. I mean, literally just dropping it in outside the mouth of your oven and you're going to get to gel before you've gotten to the oven. Then you can turn the oven down. You don't have to use as much power. And depending on you know whether you want to use electric or gas to do that, you can get, you know, substantive statement savings. So we often look at our boost inquiries are people who uh, can't keep up. Mm-hmm. So their oven just, ugh, I just can't get the But I can't get my part cured. I can't get there. They're not getting enough temperature, uh, either because they're going faster or because they have a harder part or the powder they've selected. The powder selections can have an impact on this because mm-hmm. all powders are just because it has the same temperature. They don't all cure the same way, depending on how much fillers they have. And that's true. You know, a $3 a, a pound of powder.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's just a general application that they're just like, here you go. Try it like
1: this. <laughs> yeah, it, it that, those curves Kier- might be 75 years old. <laughs> I don't know, 75, 50 years old. Yeah, I mean, some of them are really, really old haven't had a whole lot of update on some of your basic powders. So you're always trying to look at how to use less gas. So we're starting to see infrared come in, particularly on the wood and the sensitive substrate side, plastics, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not as prevalent on the metal side, but, you know, it's still something that there's still a thermal component to UV because you still have to melt the powder before even on UV powder. but. Uh,
0: yeah. And this is a very simple example of what you'll see from some of the custom coders out there is, you know, the the caps that go, the center caps that go on rims, right? Um, mm-hmm. Many of them today are plastic. And I've seen a few coders, now we haven't tried it ourselves, but I've seen a few coders powder coat them and then just apply a heat gun to it, you know, uh, to kind of cure and melt that uh, powder on there to gel it and get it cured I don't know how long they're doing this I'm just seeing quickie videos on it I don't know about durability and stuff but I mean that's a creative way to uh, get the center caps to match the overall look that your customer is looking for on a rim um, you know it, it I, I it's just a very simplest way to kind of say what you're doing here on a much, much great grander ske- schedule or s- way, you know. Uh, so it's, it's I mean, but it, it, I think the innovation is kind of, cur- you know, people are curious, even in the most simplest ways about how to, how to get powder on plastic and other substrates
1: too, you know. It, it, it's, the simple answer is it's hard. How- <laughs> yeah. If you take 3D parts and composites and plastics and wood and all this other stuff that we're playing with, um, your, your window of is it going to work is so much smaller and yeah. you have to be so much more accurate. And th- that's another reason why people typically go to infrared is because of controllability when you get into very delicate substrates where you can only add so much heat for so long. And when you've reached that point, you need to stop the heat. Uh, that's what, you know, it's something infrared does very well. And most of those people have already converted to infrared because of that. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, the idea of, of using a heat gun, there's so many cool things that can be done, but that's a one-off. You're not going to be making much money doing that because no, a, um,
0: a lot of people, we, do, we don't do it here just because you there's enough aftermarket stuff where you can just shoo can it, you know, and, and it'll be no big deal. Right. Uh, you know, so we tend to just not, you know, here you go, you're on your own. If you want to get some new ones or, you know, paint your own, that's fine. But because that's a big part of your
1: business, right. Is wheels
0: are us or just, I mean, I think custom coders in general, right. Um, some of them just specialize only in rims and rim restoration or rim polishing as well. Right. There's a lot of other, uh, there's a whole, genre of powder coaters out there that just do OEM rims or uh, just, you know, stock rims, OEM rims, aftermarket rims, you know, for their customers and stuff. We kind of have for those
1: gas guzzling cars,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's a three. I don't see any hot rockets
1: me? on the EVs.
0: Are you testing me? Is that a three?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you think about it, have you ever seen fancy wheels on an ev hell no I but haven't. you know what
0: those fan blade ones they call them the fan blades on teslas they are so hot right now like oh there's every, one yeah and they have you know when they first came out everybody's like oh my god they're ugly but now they're like the hottest thing. Like, ah, I have the fan blade Tesla rims. Can I get them powder coated? You know, so anyways. Yeah, yeah, see, I
1: want a Tesla, not be so much because of the uh, EV part. So I want the self-driving part. I <laughs> want to do it for me. I want to sit back, do my work, look at my phone, you know, drink glass Take of a wine, nap, take a take nap. nap. Like- <laughs> Can't wait. I'm, I'm George Jetson. I, I want my flying car and I'm really irritated. I don't have one yet. <laughs> um I oh, think you- let's go back we missed a couple that i think you oh, want to okay talk about. okay go ahead um the electrification we've talked about that ad nauseum uh, maintaining your burner we've talked about that the exhaust uh, one of the things that companies are starting to do and i think it will be a big growing trend is heat recovery mm, okay so how many times have you gone in a plant and ugh, it's summertime And it's already hundred degrees outside and you go in by the powder coating and you just feel like you're going to die because they are losing so much heat into their environment. And it makes it very hard to hire people, keep people. And, you know, that's the lowest paid employees they got. And then they're cooking them, literally. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) (laughs) lunch special. (laughs) Sorry, that's very inappropriate, but it's, I don't know. Anyway. We're like knee deep into a podcast. I think <laughs> We're, you yeah, know, okay. we can, you don't like my sense of humor now, uh, there's no hope for it <laughs> anyway. Um, but if you can look at your heat recovery and, you know, there's different technologies that are out there, either at your stack level, I mean, depending on how much volume you have, because again, it has to cost justify. All this stuff has to cost justify. And the government's trying to force us to get that cost justification ratio different by putting regulations in. Mm -hmm. But heat recovery is something that, even if it's not recovery, just not letting it escape, containing it. So, uh, so many old convection ovens are often terrible at this. And the heat just pours out of the entrance and exit of these ovens because they just don't have a good design Uh, Or it's such a dated design that they're not doing a very good job of just containing the heat you've already paid for. We want to keep that heat in the oven. We still have to do our recirculations. And I I don't put it in here, but it's something um, to be... I I always like to mention this because I've started to see some trend in uh, some of the more economical ovens that are out there on the convection side, the batch side, is that there's a... Shortcutting on the purge when you start it up. supposed to start up the oven faster. You know, can you save money? Uh, Less turns. Yes, that will save you money, but you will, I mean, first of all, you could create a major safety problem for yourself if you shortcut purge. I mean, purge is there for a reason. It's per code. Don't ever screw with it. Follow NFPA, your insurance company, everybody, you know, you got to do that. You can't, you can't um, put a VFD on a purge and turn it down and take shortcuts. It's just absolutely black and white, don't ever do that. But your turns, which is how many times that air volume inside the oven is turned over because because of CO, incomplete combustion, they're trying to prevent CO getting into any kind of atmosphere because we know that's really bad. And um, because older burners, poorly maintained burners are much more likely to have a much higher percentage of CO. So they're not creating enough CO2, they're creating CO. So those carbon molecules gotta go to something. So they're gonna go to the CO2 or they're gonna go to CO. But if you're creating CO, you're often creating soot. It's another way you know, you might have some issues. There's lots of other, um, but if you go to your powder supplier and ask them, they will likely bring in an oven recorder for you where you can look at your oven and see how it's performing. And a lot of times that's a free service that they'll provide if you're buying enough powder and you can see how well-maintained your oven is and how balanced it is. Look at how much heat you're escaping. If you can address some of those things either through a maintenance or modification or an add-on or something, Mm -hmm. you can save yourself. You're gonna end up using less gas. What does less gas mean? Less CO2. So
0: this is, okay. You know, this is where I see that there is, I can see where maybe there might be a case for more electrification, but then again, you know, how much we already covered, how much BTU and parts wattage and all that costs in electricity. So we already know it's starting off higher, but then one of the reasons why we have electric ovens is because, well, there's a couple of reasons. It's very expensive to buy gas here in Hawaii. So that was like the number one. Number two, yeah. we just, we, we, the shipping for a new oven was very expensive. So we decided to build our own um, and we configured it to the kind of clients that we wanted to attract. Number three, there is, it does take a little longer to get the electric oven to temp which we do kind of save. We lose out on time, and of course, BTU expenditure, right, or costs per hour, because it takes. Yeah, a little but you don't have to any get perch. That large oven.
1: You don't have to no. Do we perch. don't,
0: and that's why. That's why I'm saying one of the reasons why we didn't want to have all this, you know outgassing or offgassing of ovens and all the c- water collection and all this other stuff that kind of comes with these kinds of ovens, um, we tend to kind of don't have to deal with that. So it to us, it makes maintenance a little easier. And although maybe we pay our electric rates are not too bad, we have jumped up into a new category. So we are getting charged more. Uh, we're at the According to the electric guy that I, the Maui electric guy, we're at a category of J, I think, which means that we pay the same rate that CVS pharmacy pays for their 5,000 square foot building at the corner, you know, on the corner. Um, So there was some, there's some trade-off there, I guess. Um,
1: There's an interesting conversation, you know, because I have an electric division. And so I'm always paying attention to how much electricity something pulls. And I'm going to grab a chart I have right on the other side of my office here real quick that I'll, I'll read it. And this is not terribly current, but n- neither here nor there. So the physics of like electric infrared are not the same as far as curing. Boosting, it's, they're pretty much interchangeable. Um, but, you know, a boost might be a couple hundred amps mm-hmm. you know, to put in a boost somewhere. Uh, you might do less. You might do more depending on how big part window and all that kind of stuff. But if you want to cure something of any size with electric infrared, it's going to, to say it would spin the meter, you know, yeah, it's just shocking at how much electricity it's going to utilize to do the same work. The other issue is typically electric infrared, at least in the marketplace and how the heaters have been designed right now, is that the catalytic. There is some electric in the thousand degree and under, but you don't, don't see it very often in what we do. Um, partly because it's, why? Because you can do um, more, you know, you can do it so much cheaper and catalytic. Uh, if you get above the thousand degree kind of marker, you're, you're kind of definitely into either flame-based infrared, which doesn't have control. It's kind of like that heat gun thing where you're just kind of shooting flames at it. And or you're going to get into electric, which has high level of control. It's very easy to work with. God, it is just night and day how easy. I mean, it's just so easy. You just—it's like a dimmer switch. You just turn it on, turn it off, whatever you want to do with it. But it does spin the meter. And because the process is so fast to gel and cure, that's where people, you know, the line of side issue comes up, where the the higher temp you go, the less for giving you our online a site. So yeah. the, as you get into electric infrared, you're, you're typically in the 12, 14, 1600 range, operating range of what typically people are doing. And it, it's, thicks and thins become almost impossible without a lot of design criteria and a lot of babysitting. You can cure almost anything in catalytic. Uh, large part because there's a lot of convection in there that happens intrinsically to the process, but also the way ovens are designed. And it's not, you know, you're not, it's about three times faster than convection, but it's still fast enough to use conduction to cure those hidden areas because conduction is sped by temperature. That's how you make conduction happen faster. So that's the reason why if the reverse of it to cool apart, you put a fan on there because that cools it. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Just, you know, whatever your curve is. Uh, Electric is so fast that conduction never plays a role. And that's the reason you don't really see electric on the cure side unless it's one part in the oven. You know, it might have a chain on edge where it's rotating or something where Mm -hmm. the oven is designed for the part. Uh, But in what you do for a living, your job shop, you're you're basically never going to see an electric infrared cure oven. Now, you can obviously do electric... um, cure oven in convection, but you typically only see that in batch again, because it would be too expensive to do it in a flow through larger environment. Right. You know, if I were to guess your batch oven is, you know, million, two million BTUs.
0: I think so. I think you're right. Um, we i'm i'm actually working with somebody in the just to tease you a little bit but i am working with somebody who builds ovens and i'm trying to build a btu calculator and stuff just to see so people when they're trying to spec you know how big of an oven they need or try to plan out their shop and stuff they know what kind of power requirement they're going to need Um, Especially for startups and stuff like that, so we'll see how that goes. It's been a work in progress. It's not. It's easier said than done, but um, but that
1: kind of stuff is so good for the industry. I mean, kudos to you. I mean, even if that's, I mean, I'm not trying to own the world and say I have to sell every oven that's sitting out there. I mean, you need competition to make a market healthy. Well, I think that
0: I think people want to be educated about it before they come and talk to you, Marty. You know, or anybody else for that matter. Any other. Of, and they don't want to sound stupid. They want to sound educated. And if they don't know, they don't know. And, and so it'd be nice to have a, f- a free calculator uh, just to kind of like assist in helping them discover, you know, the space versus what their needs are. Right. You know,
1: and they, you know, you have to make generalized assumptions. To, to do any of that kind of stuff, but it's a starting point. And there's a few consultants out there who's done some of that, uh, not that per se, because I think that's a fabulous idea. I think that's good for the mm-hmm. industry. It, you know, there's no downside to me in the marketplace having more knowledge.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. And
1: because the most frustrating thing for what I do for a living is when you're competing against somebody who's just misrepresenting the facts. They just cherry pick data and, you know, they just, Guys, no, that's not how the physics work. I, you know, I don't, I don't ever mind competing against a quality competitor because most people get three bids, so you gotta have a competitor out there. You just don't want somebody cooking the books right. to get an order because that's that's not that's gonna end up with an unhappy customer. It it tarnishes the industry. It tarnishes. It, it, it's all bad. It's all bad.
0: <laughs> I think you covered what is combustion a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I think we can skip that one. Um, This one is just more extensive on that. Anything else? I mean, should I skip through this one?
1: Yeah, they're they're all stuff we've talked about. This is just the ranges.
0: Yeah. Carbon, yeah. So
1: this gets in based on, again, thinking scope one. And the reason why ultraviolet is 35%. and These are numbers that, you know, I kind of just made my estimates. You know, those, okay. These, these okay. are not based on scientific fact. They're based upon my knowledge uh, of the research we've already done and just making some assumptions because these are you know, gross generalizations. You know, Your results may differ, right. um, but ultraviolet is going to need a, a melt oven. And depending on how you could do it in convection, you can do it in infrared. It's typically with infrared, but some people use convection. Um, So, there is a thermal component to ultraviolet, and that's why that's not 100%. But ultraviolet is a very clean technology from mm-hmm. a carbon standpoint. Gas catalytic, yeah. can we can talk about in a minute. And, you know, electric, again, scope one is going to be 100%. Right. Okay. So, this was fun. Uh, year, years ago, we did this. I had a customer who had a catalytic oven and a convection oven. And that's what I. I, I mean, I probably did this in 2005 or something, so a long time ago. And it's just when I kind of started on this curiosity about how these technologies contrast and compare. And the one on the left is, and I didn't have a manometer at the time. Uh, I think sorry, I always get that word screwed up. Um, it's kind of like electrification. Anyway, the one on the left is an infrared ca- image of uh, the convection stack. Mm-hmm. So if you were you couldn't get within five feet of it and the noise of the air yeah you know it's so like a jet imagine. engine right coming out into the atmosphere and you think about God all that heat you're paying for you're just paying for it and just throwing it away and you're gonna do it multiple I and mean, constantly because that's the code. So the center one is the catalytic stack. And you can see, obviously, it's much cooler. It's at the very bottom where it's heated up a little bit because there's obviously some extra metal there, so it's mm-hmm. heated up. A little, you know, you're under 200 degrees there. The other one's at 350. And then this is the top. One of my employees holding this, putting his hand above the the catalytic stack, and it's a gentle warm breeze.
0: Wow, his that's hand can stand up there all day long.
1: I know. Wow. I just love these because it's a. This good is decision. a great
0: this is a great visual um, and so, you know, the title of the slide is environmental p- impact um, and you've, you know, just to kind of show people how you can, you can't, we can't, the industry can get there. We can get there, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. So this is what I began when I said, all right, I need to start creating some data. So in our lab, we're going to have a convection oven. We've got two electric ovens. We've got two catalytic ovens, now three. Uh, So I can run lots of different tests doing lots of different things. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll run the same part up at ProTherm that I do down in Kansas City. Um, And I cannot tell you how hard it is to get an apples to apples test. And I want it to be normalized. And it's really hard because you have to make certain assumptions and does that skew the result? So this is just a sheet metal part, uh, some kind of gauge, I don't know what gauge it is, Um, a formed sheet metal part and ran it in convection and then ran it again in catalytic. So I'm using the exact same part with the exact same powder, probing it the exact same way and I'm running it in two different ovens and say, And I picked a target temp that I wanted to get to, because this isn't, I didn't use this for a cure test. I use this, just pick a number. um, And the assumption, so that what I want to clarify here on the front end is when I ran these tests, the assumption I made is that all ovens are 100% on. So that, that means is there's no modulation. Once an oven starts to modulate, I, you know, all bets are off. I can't begin to guess how any particular oven is going to modulate. You know, infrared ovens modulate all the time based on the, you know, not so much about the load. Convection oven will modulate based on load because that's part of the calculation for convection oven. An infrared oven doesn't care about load at all. All it cares about is you know, how much fuel are putting in there, if you have fresh air going in there that might cool the emitters or, you know, whatever you're doing um, that, uh, you know, you, you have a set point in an infrared, depending on how you design it, there's a set point you're looking at and it will modulate the gas flow to maintain that set point up and down, depending on what's going on. The oven's cool or it's been running all day. There's lots of different factors. So that, the, the, the caveat to all these tests is this is the time and temp it took to get to the a same temperature on the same part using the same powder. Okay.
0: All right, so let's go to this next slide.
1: Okay, so that's the catalytic and that part took a hair under two minutes to get to 300 degrees. So that was the temperature I was measuring against. So, you know, there's my oven recorder and you can see, uh, you know, how the numbers come out because we will measure everything.
0: Okay. And then now the convection, oh wow. There's a lot so, that's a, uh,
1: it, it's it, it got left on for a long time before we turned it off, so that's the reason the, the curve looks a little weird. But it's almost okay, 5 minutes. Me? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's it, almost it's 5 almost, minutes. Yeah. to get to 300 degrees. Right. So, you know, just looking at how much more time and temp it takes to get to the exact same thing on the exact same part.
0: I know. I remember these, these two slides being in that presentation and being shocked. I We've never done, I mean, not that we could do a, con, a comparison like what you have here, but I mean, uh, we know how long it takes for our oven to get to temp approximately, the large, let's just say the large one, Um, or even the small one, we did do a a simple hybrid test where we were experimenting with adding a gas, I guess you want to say boost, right? Is Mm -hmm. that what you said? Yeah. Like a gas boost to kind of get it to temp a little faster. And we noticed a significant, um, a shocking, significant um, turnaround time in powder coating. And it would be great if we could maybe somehow hybrid that, but the cost of, unfortunately, still we're dealing with the cost of gas. Um, And uh, it it just, after weighing it all out and doing all our tests for like a week or two, we realized we were actually still, we were still burning or paying for more uh, overhead just to save a few minutes. And I don't think we ever really got to this specific of a test in terms of time, but yeah. it was a noticeable thing for us. And then of course you have to weigh that out with the cost, uh, the overhead costs that we incurred by having it. And we were having to, I think, up, um, fill the tank, the propane tank up, uh, which was, I think we were running I don't know if it was just a fifty-pound tank or a hundred. I think it was a hundred and thirty-five-pound tank, and we had to change it out every every few days. You know, Mm -hmm. so that that's really expensive here for us. So we kind of, I can sympathize with the difficultness of trying to achieve a result that is at least something that is, you know, may not be a hundred percent, one hundred percent, thousand percent accurate, but at least it's a test that got a result. Um, right. and that, yeah. Awesome.
1: So, yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the rule of thumb is if it doesn't cost justify, you're never going to spend the money. Right. Yeah. I mean, equipment has to help you either make more money or save money. Otherwise, why would anybody buy anything? You're not going to. Right. Yeah. Okay, so so this, this
0: slide is amazing, you know, cause yeah, you really is, kind of put it? it, it's like the sword into the, you know,
1: uh, into the, uh, stone. Uh, so so obviously it was 12 gauge. I, I had forgotten that. Um, and so I wanted, because again, you can't contrast and compare two different ovens. So h- how could we do apples to apples? So we looked at the BTU capacity of the oven. So the convection is a thousand, B, you know, a million BTUs and the uh, gasket oven we used was a little under 500. So, you know, one's up twice the power than the other. And that is going to influence this and make convection look a little bit better because that was the only part running in that oven. But again, it's 100%, the oven had been preheated, it was at temp, We put the part in, it's a batch oven, put the part in and wait till it gets to the 300 degrees. So then we just, timed out and you just look at the data packs and look at how much time did it take to get to temp and it's giving you the seconds. And then it's just math dividing in how many BTUs did it take to get to that time, that temp. And then uh, the BTUs used per second. Again, we're just you know extrapolating it out. And up and right above, you'll see a little itty bitty tiny number. What is it? 117 pounds of CO2 per million or whatever. That's the formula pulled it off the internet that we use to get at how much CO2 was generated. So that's the assumption Mm -hmm. that's used. So this is just basic math. All you had to have was the size of the oven and um, you know, those oven recorders to, to give you the number. And it ends up with an 82% reduction. I mean, it's just, it's shocking.
0: That is shocking. It is. And I mean, I, I can only imagine how long, I mean, I don't, I'm not very good at math, but like, still, even if you were good at math, that it, would, you know, and figuring out how to measure it all and everything, that's just outstanding work, you know?
1: Thank you. We're, we're, we were very pleased with the results. They're better than I was expecting.
0: Yeah. And it all, this slide is so critical because everything we've just talked about and here it is in black and white, right? You know? Mm-hmm. That you haven't pulled this out of your, you know, out of the space time continuum. <laughs> it's some universe somewhere and then plopped it on a, uh, you know, on a graph um, that all of this leads up to, and it's very logical. And I would, I would have to agree just in terms of the knowledge that we have with the, con- the purely convection oven that we have and the electricity. So I, I can't, I, there is nothing here in this slide that I can disagree with because we experience it here every day.
1: Mm-hmm. So then we did it again. This is an old test we did years ago and I pulled it out and I said, I can use this again for this because I did the same thing then because the customer wanted a convection test. Um, is this the next on slide? Our, yeah. So on our to-do list is to do you know a dozen more of these, pick all kinds of different shapes and sizes and just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep yeah. doing it. You know, you just prove it out over and over. So this is a heavy weldment, uh, all kinds of thicks and thins. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see by the picture where it is probed. So you can see the body, the the yoke, uh, the top of the yoke. You see the thickness uh, and those bars that stick out. Those are typically really hard to work with because they're solid metal. Um, and the picture on the right is showing, uh, you know, after the uh, uh, double rub test was done mm-hmm. and, you know, showing we got a clean.
0: Uh, yeah, that you did it right. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: the part is cured. Right. So the first one is the catalytic test. And often what you'll see in infrared is the, uh, depending on where you probe, you're gonna get some inconsistencies because your thin is going to heat up much faster than your thick. Right. But it took, uh, the target temperature on this one we just chose was 326. I have no idea why I chose that, but we're probably looking for 325. and That's just where I ended up. Uh, So five minutes and 50 seconds. So hair under six minutes to get to the 326. And again, ovens full on.
0: Yeah. And I would describe that part for those that are listening. It looked like a jack like you know like that's exactly a, what it
1: is, is a jack. yeah
0: a jack for a car uh yeah so um yeah that that's in- and i love how you know you can see all because you probed it in so many different areas you can kind of see where it's all kind of around There's the one, same two
1: three four five probes on that
0: yeah And here's the convection oven one which is much further the peak it happens way further down the line that it's taking it's the it's the heat up process right the heating up of the metal that is taking the longest
1: well you know it's 26 minutes to do the exact same work in convection right so you know when i'm looking at how to help people you know i want to you know originally when i did this this was to help understand the speed, and you know, thereby mm-hmm. the oven is physically smaller. And how expensive are buildings right now? If you can shrink your footprint of your ovens and not have to, if you're building a new line and you're building a building to do it, and now all of a sudden, I I have a customer in Canada who says the amount of space they saved on their new building paid for the system. Wow, that's impressive.
0: Yeah. yeah wow. That that was. And you know, a, I mean, what a what a compliment too. I mean, that he actually figured that out and, you know, came, came to that conclusion, you know, that's huge.
1: So this is the same calculation as I did on the 12 gauge part. Now, obviously this was done years ago. The oven was only 400,000 BTUs at that time. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take longer because you have less oven to work with, but again, it's full on. So you have less CO2 being generated because you're not pulling as much you know, the capacity is lower. So, you know, one's higher, one's lower. It doesn't really matter because you're, you're trying to create, just take whatever temperature you got to and how many BTUs at full on did that burner pull and gas. So you just, we, we know that by how the oven is designed. There's only so much gas can go through that pipe. So you mm-hmm. know what your maximum usage is. What you don't know is, when you modulate, how much are you gonna use? That's what, unless you have a meter on your specific piece of equipment, which I have yet to find somebody who does, maybe I'm sure there's people out there doing it, I've just never talked to them, of somebody who actually measures the specific piece of equipment. They typically measure the line where it comes in and it might power 15 different pieces of equipment. So the data all gets lost. Right. Uh, because it's expensive to meter each piece of equipment. And to what end? Why would anybody do that? For what purpose? You wouldn't. Because there's no but, value proposition.
0: But now there is. if there. Yes, exactly. The very topic we're talking about.
1: So that so, one was 67 percent reduction, because when it's right. a little heavier, um, you're, it's going to take more power. And so you're not going to get as much. So mm-hmm. on a uh, related topic to that. Something that I think is really important because now we're getting into, you know, the, what are the takeaways from all of this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the things I heard somebody talk about, and I thought it was very powerful. They were very concerned about regulations coming out and saying you must reduce by X percent. Because mm-hmm. the only person that helps is the, the not the bad actor, but the guy who hasn't done anything. Because they're starting from the beginning. So anybody who's been proactive on this and has already made steps, they've already dealt with the low hanging fruit. They've already made investments. They've already done stuff. So it's a lot harder for them to get a percentage reduction. It's like comparing China to U.S. You can't. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. And they said what they would love to see if there is regulations on this is that it's something that is a function of your production, like per piece. Because then that takes into account how you're running your business and what you're doing for a living, as opposed to just some arbitrary percentage that may or may not, That that's just complying with the man kind of thing. That's not truly changing the outcome, which is what our, you know, what everyone's goal is in this process is to actually reduce the amount of natural gas or whatever utility you're consuming, uh, to reduce that and, it, it's a much fairer way to look at the problem. But, you know, I was just at a meeting uh, earlier this week, actually, with a bunch of business owners, and I, I gave them a really short version of this. And I first asked them, how many of you are kind of thinking about worrying about carbon reduction? So out of a room of like 30 people, like five hands went up. Then I said, how many of you are worried? And you're know, really thinking aggressively, two hands went up. And these are all basically, most of them are manufacturers, industrial, other kinds of manufacturers and such. And they, for a lot of different reasons, maybe what they do for a living, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, that's where a lot of this is, is we have this spectrum of knowledge that's out there. And so much of the knowledge is wrong that it becomes really hard figure out how even to help somebody so you know i want to know if somebody's came to me and said i want to buy an infrared oven because i want to reduce my carbon footprint and that's the most important thing to me Mm -hmm. then what i'm going to do is say first of all make sure you measure where you are now Mm -hmm. because if somebody wants to know your percentage drop you know or even measure by part or something create a static measurement of where you are today so that if you make an improvement you can actually prove out your point Because otherwise, all I can give them is my data to say, look, they bought this wonderful oven that does this and it does that, but you know I don't know how they ran it. I don't know what they did. You know I don't know what they ran through it. You know I don't know how they turned it on or off or any of that kind of stuff. But that's more than what they've got. But if you really want to deal with it, start. You know, even if you're doing maintenance on your current oven, start with where you are. You have to put a monitor on your piece of equipment, which you know is several grand then you start making your changes and see if you can see any improvement. It's, it's a different form of oven measurement.
0: And isn't that kind of like what we were starting to talk about powder coating week was automation and looking towards the future and what it all means, right? Some of some of the seminars and, and content that we covered mm-hmm. that week was about that or just the little bits of just some of it, you know? I I think that, um, you know, would it be uh, concerning to you if you sold, say we were in the future some point and it's all metered and monitored and stuff like the customer you're just talking about, uh, would, do you think that the industry or the powers that be, the government, the regulators, would they be able to come back at you? and say, well, you sold them the stuff, right? I mean, I know, I, I'm sorry, Marty. I'm sorry, Marty, <laughs> but you know, that's kind of like scary too, right? Um, yeah.
1: yeah, but by the same token, I, I'm pretty, that kind of stuff, I'm pretty good at being able, that's the beauty of educating, is mm-hmm. I'm not making wild claims, I'm saying scope one this is what I can do. This is based upon my data. When I put out a quote to somebody, I don't quote a performance. I'm quoting this is what the oven I'm selling you will is designed to do. It's designed to get this max temperature. It's designed for this flow through rate. It's designed to have this many zones or convection oven. It's this it has this many changes. You know, whatever the the thing may be, you're you always want to state what you know you can control right so i always make sure i say the caveat is this is i you know your results may vary (laughs) i can't i can't unless i wanted to build two prototype lines prototype lines which somebody wants to pay me to do that i'm happy to do it two prototype lines where it's the exact same part exact same powder and exact same line speed and you know I, i can run this data in a real world environment You know, part after part, after part, after part, after part, you know, run it for eight hours in a day to find out, you know, in the summer and the winter when, you know, numbers can vary. uh, Heavy load, light load, breaks, all that stuff, turndowns, all that stuff that that come into it. uh, I can't even predict. Uh, I mean, I can make some guesstimates. I make educated guesses, but that's all it is. So the key Uh, is to not put yourself out there too far. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. say what you know, but it starts with data. It, it is going
0: to take data to solve and unravel a lot of these problems. Um, okay. So this, these last few slides, you know, we're wrapping up here. Um, you know, obviously just to recap, obviously start with scope one, right? What can you control in your shop? And, um, you know, what's your target, develop methods, start thinking about it. I mean, I think a lot of it is just awareness, right? Mm -hmm. I I think we're at the awareness part of it, you know, (laughs) then, you know, actually taking actions specifically. Um, But for those that are more kind of forward thinking, might be a little further down here, have already been aware of it or are thinking about it now. Are you willing to replace and upgrade equipment? And that's something that I talked about with Kevin uh, Corson a few months ago, you know, in regards to a lot of these manufacturers will delay, 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 um, and run their systems to, I mean, you know this because you're selling to them. Um, They'll just hold out to the very end, right? And I don't know, are they even, if they are holding out to the very end to replace something, you know, you know, that's a lot of capital they have to put out for maybe something that might be changing in the future. Do you see a lot of these people that you're talking to, are they there or are they just not even aware at all and they're just thinking
1: oh, some other? Oh my God, the big companies want my data. I mean, give me third party, give me anything, anything. Yeah. Uh, they, they They want a piece of paper that has a stamp on it that says, look, here you go. They're looking right. to check that box. And, you know, as you and I both know, I get to check the fee box, too. So I get yeah. you know, two for one. <laughs> uh, but uh, the but, you know, that last one, if you invest any money, publicize it, That that is the one that's so important.
0: Yeah,
1: because if you're going to make and have that enter in your decision, even if it's just it, it's the tiebreaker or it's not even something you're worried about, still, we can market. I mean, this is marketing here. We're not talking, even if you're not that worried about it, and this is not something you care about, if you, if you end up buying a infrared cure oven or even adding infrared to your convection, measure something so you can publicize it so you can get some brownie points. For brownie it. points, yeah, there you go. Even if you're not <laughs> that worried about it, why would you walk over such a thing that some, you know, maybe not your whole market, but part of your market may really, really care about I wouldn't necessarily be doing it if I was selling into oil and gas, you know, selling them an oven. That might not be my lead thing I want to say to them. But um, if you're selling into a consumer products based company, absolutely take the wins where you got them. And that company that say that said they saved uh, enough money to pay for this. And it wasn't I don't think it was a one to one, but it was wildly significant. They had us the ovens are all the same color as their powder booth. So it's very showy. It's Mm -hmm. all yellow. And the washer is stainless and all the ovens are yellow. And I mean, you're not going to miss it anywhere. And they said the interesting thing they figured out is that it became a way to help them be the employer of choice. Mm. Who would have gone there? Yeah. Uh, And they said when they're bringing people in, they tour the plant. You know, this might be for an accountant. Doesn't matter. They bring them in and they talk about it from the standpoint of, you know, state of the art investment. And it's so showy, you know, you're not going to miss it. It's not just some weird piece of machinery. It's bright yellow. And I mean, neon yellow, kind of yellow. Not, it's not quite to neon, but it's yellow because it matches a certain powder vendor who shall remain nameless. Um, but if you start with a G, you'd probably know. Anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, so there's all big yellow lines out there and they talk about the environmental piece and they were the first customer that really valued that significantly. Right. It wasn't Look. the reason they right. bought it, but it was a contributor to the decision tree. But the economics is why they bought it because they were building a building and they wanted to save that space. But when they talk to these you know, young people that they're hiring, they talk about their investment and they talk about their um, environmental approach and their policy and all that kind of stuff. Then they start to really differentiate themselves in the marketplace and hiring people, and they said it's really helped.
0: Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I mean, hello, we just talked about it a little while ago. Millennials, millennials, like that's what they, they want. Care that's, they care a lot. They care, and they want to see that their business that they work for is clean and visually and you know inside and out, right? You know, because then yeah. somehow it gives them that confidence that. Maybe they, you know, the grandpa that died of cancer or lung disease or whatever. You know, I'm I'm not going to be that guy, right? You know, I don't know. Um, So yeah, I think we're I think we're kind of already talking about it. Market opportunities here. Um, Electric vehicles for I went right to that one. Uh, Seems to be the topic in like every other thing Kathy Wood says or. (laughs) <laughs> or or Elon Musk, right? <laughs> uh, well, the powder studies.
1: industry, there are a lot of opportunities in the EV industry. I mean, it's creating yeah. a lot of new lines, a lot of new powder demand uh, for, yeah. you know, th- they have some different issues and challenges of what they have to powder coat. It's lighter materials. It's just, it's different. So it's creating, there's always a winner and a loser in this kind of stuff. The right. goal is, you know, be proactive and be the winner, not the loser.
0: Yeah, it's true. I think I attended something with uh, PPG uh, CEO or something about the future of OEM, um, painting OEM parts or something like that. And they were actually talking, you know, like two-tone is a big thing and it's gonna continue to. So how do you, how do you create a two-tone paint line? Cause the two-tone look is gonna continue to grow uh, whether it's on wheels or cars or whatever. Right. So, um, might have to break for just a second or maybe should we, is it, are we there? Can we
1: oh, that's wrap up?
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marty, for, uh, coming on the show today and we'll be happy to, you know, I'll make sure to put all the, uh, links in the description so that people can reach out to you, including, you know, LinkedIn and, and uh, your website and everything. I certainly appreciate the time that you've taken to explain all this and it's, all of it is important.
1: Well, it was a fun conversation. This is my very first podcast. I was a little nervous at the beginning, but I think we've gotten over it.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Aloha. Thank
1: you.